Welcome to Faith Baptist Church, Great Village, where we believe in the truth of the gospel, building of community, and engaging in the mission of Christ. We hope you enjoy this week's message as our pastors share from God's Word. Morning, church family. How are you doing? Been a good long weekend? Good. Uh, Let's read this full passage together, and then we'll dig into it line by line. Does that sound good? Matthew chapter 26, and we'll read 11 verses, verses 36 to 46, if you want to turn there. Uh, We typically read from the English Standard Version, the ESV. Uh, We like that translation. There are a lot of beautiful translations and paraphrases, and uh, they all do different things. Of course, it's all inspired in the original languages. We put the scriptures up here on the screen so you can participate, but we would encourage you Bring your Bible, if, if you use your Bible on a device, if you use a paper copy of your Bible, get to know how to use it and how to access it on your own uh, so that you can rightly divide the word of truth, as the Bible says. Get to know your Bible. Matthew 26, starting in verse 36. You ready? It's good to be here. Good to be with you. Yeah. Verse 36. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. He said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell on his face and he prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. He came to the disciples and he found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So you could not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and he prayed the third time, saying the same words again. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Let's pray together. Thank you, Jesus, that for the joy set before you, you endured the cross, despising the shame. Thank you that you set your face toward Jerusalem, that in your hour of agony, you did not turn back from the cross. Thank you that you are our suffering Savior, Jesus, I pray you'd show us how we can act and think and pray more like you today as we conclude this serious conversations with God. Jesus, I pray you'd show us something about prayer. Help us to step deeper into it as you invite us in. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. I was on vacation this past week, and I quite enjoyed it. I threw my phone in the car at the, where we were and didn't pay attention to it, and that was really nice, really nice. 
so we spent the week on the South Shore, and then at the end of the week, we headed to New Brunswick for a wedding. And it was really nice to reconnect with friends, because when you move away from a place, you kind of disconnect. Doesn't that just naturally happen? You don't want it to happen. They're going to be lifelong friends, but you're not living life in fellowship together consistently. You're just checking in on social media once in a while, and then there's the yearly or biannual trip where you get to see them face to face. So we're at this wedding and you get the opportunity to chat with people and say hi and give hugs and catch up and point out a few things that you've seen in their life on social media. But you kind of sense that, you know, you're living two different lives now. It's been three years and their life is moving on and our life is moving on. It's kind of this weird tension. And at the reception, I got to sit with my friend, Sean. And I haven't chatted with Sean and heard what's going on in his life in a long time. And I got to hear about his wife and his young daughter and how shift work's going and how he might be done with shift work soon, how they're looking for a larger house that might suit their family better. And I got to hear all the story and catch up with my buddy, Sean. It was really nice. It was a lot easier to catch up with Sean because he was sitting at the same table with me at the reception. The other 175 people, it was a little harder to catch up with because they're all seated at different tables or they're way over there, you know? It's, it's a lot easier to connect and relate to and fellowship people with people when, when they're close, isn't it? It's, it's a lot harder to connect with people when they're they're way over there, on the other side of the border, not in the same circle as you, not seated at your table. It's trickier, isn't it? That's kind of the theme I want to roll with today. Let's jump back to verse 36. We'll dig through this line by line. I added emphasis every time I read the word with. Maybe you noticed that, but it says, Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. Jesus was with them. So the context, Matthew chapter 26, if you read through the chapter, uh, Judas decides he's going to betray Jesus. It was this process, but he actually does the deal. He gets paid, I think it's, what, 30 pieces of silver, which is the price of a common slave in that day. So he sold Jesus out for the price of a slave. There's this anointing at Bethany. They travel into Jerusalem, prepare the upper room for the last supper that I want to eat with my disciples. Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper. One of you who's at the table will betray me. Judas runs out. And then it says, when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. So this is the context. As they're going to the Mount of Olives, they continue this conversation. Jesus says, this very night, all of you will fall away. Do you remember this? And then Peter's like, ho, ho. Not me, Jesus, even if all these fall away, yet I will never. And Jesus turns to Peter and says, Peter, this very night before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. Peter says, Jesus, even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And then it adds this little tagline that I mentioned in a sermon one time. All the rest said the same. All the disciples made the same agreement. Even if we must die with you, we will never deny you. And they're walking to the Mount of Olives. 
John, in his gospel, really condenses this for us. John chapter 18, verse 1. I want you to get the geographical context, the picture here. Verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the brook Kidron, where there was a garden, which he and his disciples entered. The next verse says this was a common thing they did, common place that they all went to together. In fact, it was so common and such a regular occurrence that Judas knew they were going to be there. And that's where Judas showed up with the soldiers to kiss Jesus, have him arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. So I want to show this map up here if I could. And there's a couple maps, simple one, one with the topography there. Uh, but do you see this map number two? You see the upper room indicated down here, that black brick? You see that? And then there's an arrow going out through the gate, the lower gate, up the Kidron Valley. And then see up here is the Mount of Olives and the Garden of Gethsemane is on the Mount of Olives. You see that? If you look over at map number one, over here you can see the, the topography. That's the term, right? Where you can see the hills on a map? Okay. So they come down from the upper city to the lower city through the brook Kidron. And there's this really cool thing about the Kidron brook for all the Bible geeks out there. The temple, since it's the Passover, where they sacrificed all of the Passover lambs, uh, potentially that blood would have run down the Kidron brook. So as Jesus and the disciples are crossing, the brook could have still been red with the blood of the Passover lamb. Jesus being the lamb of God that was slain, not just to cover sin, but to cleanse sin. As he steps over it, he's looking at the blood of the Passover lamb. He is the lamb of God. It's this really cool picture. So they cross the valley, walk up the valley, to the Mount of Olives, to the Garden of Gethsemane. There's this valley in between. What, what is directly across from the Garden of Gethsemane? Can you see it there on the map? The temple. Right across from the valley. I want to show you a picture of the valley. Uh, the next picture here, you can see the Mount of Olives. And see this, this corner of this brick building over here, this, this wall? This, this is the temple wall, I believe. So the Mount of Olives is up there. The Garden of Gethsemane is somewhere on that hill. And then you have the temple directly across the valley. So Jesus is up there, Garden of Gethsemane, the Mount of Olives, looking directly across at the temple. What's significant about the temple? What have we learned this summer, especially in Alex's sermon on the Ark of the Covenant as it came, God's presence with his people, the temple is symbolic with the Ark of the Covenant in the Holy of Holies as God's presence with his people, God with his people. Hannah prayed in the temple. The presence of God fell as Solomon had the, all those elaborate sacrifices and God's presence filled the temple like a mighty rushing wind, similar to the day of Pentecost. The temple is symbolic of God's presence. Jesus is on the Mount of Olives Gethsemane, I just want you to get this picture. It's like the, the same elevation level. One point is looking directly across at the other. There's like this crevasse in the middle. I want you to get that picture. All right. Matthew chapter 26, the end of verse 36 says, Jesus said to his disciples, sit here in this place while I go over there and pray. Why would Jesus pick this spot to pray? Here's, here's a subliminal messaging moment for you. 
I want to show the, the title slide that we've been using all summer, the same logo that we've been using. I had a little bit of fun with this logo, and I, I put this vertical arrow in conversations with God. You've seen that? See that vertical arrow? You've noticed that, right? What, what does that represent? What picture does that put in your mind? Back and forth conversation, yeah. Up and down. Both ways, yeah, we put the arrow in both directions, right? I love that picture. I wanted to tuck that in. Somebody say a long line? Plumb line, okay, nice and straight. Okay, we're getting really deep in this. Awesome, love it. But the, the whole idea is that mankind, who's down here, is having a conversation with God, who's up here. Humanity in their sin and their flesh and their limitedness down here, maybe in, in the sorrow, the dark night of the soul, the valley of the shadow of the death, way down here, is having this conversation with God who's almighty and omnipotent and perfect and his ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts above our thoughts and he's so holy and righteous and Alex was talking about the Ark of the Covenant and, and the picture of God's presence with his people, but beware, God is, is holy and righteous and don't touch the Ark. You, God's presence with his people, but you have to revere and respect God. And subconsciously, maybe that's how we think about prayer. We're down here and we're, we're talking to a God that's way distant, way up there, so far beyond us that we can't even comprehend. And we don't really get this picture of being with one another, do we? So I, I wanna change this just for today. I swapped it up. I think maybe it should be a horizontal line, like that temple, like the Mount of Olives and Jesus praying in God's presence and I think prayer should be more of a face-to-face -face conversation and less of trying to throw our prayer requests up high enough so God sees them over the fence of heaven if we reach really far. I think conversations with God should be more of like a face-to-face -face than a here and there, don't you? And that's what I want to dig into in this passage, and that's, that's my illustration, so think about that line. And I should have done this thing, like you got the vertical line, then you got the horizontal line, then you got the cross, right? You see that picture? Okay. Prayer should be on the same level face-to-face. -face. Because of the blood of Christ, we gain access to the very presence of God. We've talked about that this summer. Verse 36, he says to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And then he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, James and John, that's his inner circle, the inner three, who were often invited in further. When he was raising the little girl from the dead, he invited Peter and James and John to come in a little further beyond what the other disciples got to see, his inner circle. He began to be sorrowful and troubled. Let's talk about private prayer for a moment, praying on your own, not public. You sit here and I'm going to go pray over there, alone. Jesus often prayed in public. There's lots of recorded prayers of Jesus praying in front of the multitudes, but Jesus often receded to the desolate place to pray on his own with his father early in the morning. And I think that's where he drew a lot of strength from in his, his earthly ministry. It was his private prayer life. Who you are in private is really indicative of and prepares you for and 
Who you are in private is, is who you are in public. What, what does your private prayer life look like? I've often felt very hollow praying up here in public because the private prayer and the public prayer are so different, aren't they? When you stand up here and you have an audience and you're thinking about what you're praying about, when it's in private, it's just you and God and pouring out your soul before him. Private prayer. Jesus says in Matthew 6, 6, when you pray, go into your inner room, shut the door, pray to your father who's unseen and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. It's not about the religious man who walks in with his arms stretched to heaven praying big, bold prayers so as to be seen. Why didn't he pray with the disciples? Maybe he thought, like the earlier conversations had happened, that the disciples would try and fix it, or they'd question, why are you doing this, Jesus? Why do you have to die? We're going to fight for you, Jesus. We'll stick out for you. Maybe they would overpromise like they'd been doing. That's what the conversation was on the way there. He only invited James, John, and Peter. Do you have an inner circle? We talk about community as one of our core values. And in last week's sermon, I was talking about how the church should be a place where we can be real with our struggles and we can share those burdens. We can have a community to support us. What I wasn't saying is we should jump up on stage and blab all of our junk to the entire church congregation. No, you should have a community of believers, yes. But you should have some people who are close to you who know what you're going through, who can check in on you, hold you accountable, pray for you, people who really know the real you, a Peter and a James and a John, an inner circle. You need some close community. Jesus began to be sorrowful and, and troubled. And that kind of struck me. This doesn't seem like the typical emotions that Jesus would exude. Jesus was often full of compassion, Right? It just came from his guts. He had so much love for people, he just had to do something. Jesus was often full of power, miraculous power. Jesus spoke as one with authority. Jesus wept at the tomb of Lazarus, yet Jesus prayed when he crossed the hill and saw Jerusalem like a sheep without a shepherd. He, he cried for them. But I don't know, I don't see a lot of Jesus being sorrowful and troubled. And as the next verse says, to the point of death. That seems somewhat uncharacteristic to me and my reading of, of who Jesus is. Sorrow and trouble. Hebrews says that he fully embraced the human experience. He was tempted in all points as we are, yet without sin. And therefore, he can be a great high priest, our high priest, who can empathize with our weakness because he's lived it. Look at verse 38. Then Jesus said to them, my soul, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. You ever faced so much sorrow that you just wanted to die? I, I don't know that I have. But I know people who have gone through some really rough stuff. Maybe... You felt the pain so deep within that it felt like a piece of you died. Or maybe you feel like you're dying inside. We, we use some of those phrases. Jesus' soul was sorrowful to death. His, his very essence, the deep pain and sadness in his very being. 
Jesus tells Peter, James, and John, just stay with me, watch with me. Like Job's friends when they showed up and they had nothing to say for seven days, they just sat with him in his pain. And then they had to open their big mouth and insert their foot. Don't you wish you would have people who would just sit with you in your pain? Not try and fix it, not try and give you all the answers, not say, oh yeah, that struggle. Well, I had a struggle like this one time. Like not try and compare and compete, but just to, just to sit, remain, watch. Verse 39, going a little farther, Jesus fell on his face. That doesn't sound very elegant and graceful, does it? He fell on his face. We have little kids at home. I, I see face plants a lot. This is, this is humility. This is humble. This is face to the dirt. He fell on his face and he prayed saying, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. We're going to talk about that prayer, but the picture that I get is this painting by Heinrich Hoffmann in 1886. It's called Christ in Gethsemane. And, and you just kind of picture Jesus gracefully knelt by that rock, his fingers intertwined, glancing up to heaven and this, this, uh, this bright aura about his head, which is indicative of the, the religious artwork. And he's just kind of gazing into heaven. It's peaceful. He seems calm, cool, and collected. It's a very nice picture. I don't know if you can see it because it kind of tightened in, but you can see the disciples sitting over here. There's three of them, Peter, James, and John. And they're kind of half laying down, sitting there. He asked them to watch and pray. That's the picture I get in my head, but that's not what it says, is it? Jesus fell face down on the ground. He's not, he's not looking up to heaven, crying out for help, like this picture we see of our conversations with God, that God is way up there. Jesus is, is face down on the ground, and he's praying. If it's possible, remove this cup from me. Now, can you look up when you pray? Sure, yeah, Jesus did that. You remember when he had uh, the little bit of food and he was gonna feed the multitude and he blessed it, he broke it, and then he looked up into heaven and he prayed in front of the crowd. There's nothing wrong with that. Here Jesus is, is face down. This dark night of the soul, when, when we feel alone, when we feel abandoned and we may ask, like Job asked, God, where are you? It seems like you're so far away. The cup that Jesus is concerned about, Father, let this cup pass from me. Uh, the cup is symbolic of God's wrath throughout the Bible. He's, he's going to pour out his wrath. It's interesting that it's also symbolic of God's blessing. He's going to pour out blessing into your lap so that it overflows but it's, it's a picture of God's wrath. Jesus is praying about the cup of God's wrath that was to come. And what was his concern? His concern is death. Sure, that would be difficult for anybody facing death that next day. It would be suffering, yes. He knew exactly what was coming. He knew everything about it, how it would feel, the thorns in his head, the spear in his side, the whip on his back, his beard being plucked, the... 
the embarrassment of nakedness, public shame as people cried out and spat on him, the, the cross, the suffocation and death. I'm, I'm sure he knew all of that was coming and, and there were elements of anxiety that that would cause. But I believe the thing that he was really concerned about, and I've said this before, was the separation that he would experience from God the Father when God would forsake the Son because of the sin that Jesus became on the cross and the wrath of God that would be poured out against that sin. He made him to become sin who knew no sin so that we could be the righteousness of God. So as Jesus is hanging on the cross, bearing the weight and the burden of our sin, the Father's got to turn his back from the Son because being a righteous and holy God, he can't look on sin in his presence, so he turns his back from his Son. And then in the next chapter, Matthew 27, verses 45 to 46, from the sixth hour, there was darkness all over the land until the ninth hour. From noon until 3 p.m. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We talked about how the worst part of hell is not the fire, it's not who you're there with, it's who's not there. God's presence is not there. And we oversimplified heaven as, as being God's presence. The best part of heaven is being with God. I think when Jesus is praying in the garden and Luke says his sweat became as great drops of blood, being a physician, he knew what that meant. The physical anxiety and exertion put on his body in the stress of that moment. I think he's so anxious and concerned for the separation that he would experience from the Father. To not be with God, his Father. Distance, separation. Have you felt as though God is distant? Like there's a separation there? Like there's, there's a Kidron Valley in between? A disconnect. Jesus is our great high priest because he can empathize with us everything we've experienced, even separation from the Father. He was tempted with all yet without sin. He experienced pain, suffering, loss, abandonment, betrayal. He knows what it's like to walk in your shoes because he came to earth, put on flesh, and walked in our shoes. He's not a distant God. He's personal. He's close. He got down on our level. He became sin. Isn't that the picture? We couldn't get there so Jesus came here. We couldn't reach for God because all have fallen short of the glory of God. So God loved the world so much that he gave his son. And Jesus stepped down and put on flesh and became one of us so that he could save us. That's the story of the gospel. We couldn't get there, so Jesus came here. At the fullness of time, God sent his son. Jesus got down on our level. I don't know if you've ever heard this picture, but somebody likened it to if you made ants and you had ants in the sandbox and you're trying to communicate with the ants and you can't communicate with them because they can't reach your level, so you get down and become an ant 
to communicate with those ants. Yet it's on such an extraordinary level because we're talking about almighty holy God creating mankind and then stepping into that creation that he created to take on sin and die for us, step down on our level. He says, take this cup, if there be any other way. Then he says, yet not my will, but thine be done. That's the Lord's prayer, isn't it? Your kingdom, your will. Your will be done, your kingdom come. Jesus submitted to the will of the Father. Here's where Jesus' humanity and deity seems to collide. Matthew 26 and verse 40. Here's here's where it gets really practical and applicable, okay? Verse 40. He came to the disciples and he found them sleeping. You ever share your hurt with someone and they don't seem to empathize at all? Like maybe they're not even listening to what you had to say. You just poured your heart out and it's like, okay, can we go to lunch now? Did you miss it? Jesus is facing the worst agony of his earthly life and his friends are snoozing. Don't expect people to be able to carry the weight of your pain because Jesus carried the burden of your sin to the cross. He's the only one that can carry that weight. And sometimes when we put the expectations we should have on our Savior Jesus Christ, on other people, they let us down every time because they just can't carry the weight of our pain and suffering. Only Jesus can. Only Jesus can truly empathize. He knows what you're going through. But think of Peter, think of James, think of John. They got invited a little closer to see Jesus praying in the garden. Isn't this practical? They're sleeping. How many times do you fall asleep while you pray? Oh yeah, I try and pray at night when I climb into bed, but then the next thing I know, the alarm goes off and it's the next morning. Or I I lose focus, you know? I, I just close my eyes and then I can't remember what I'm supposed to be praying for and I start thinking about the shopping list and then before you know it I'm off doing something in the house and I remember oh yeah I sat down to pray I forgot maybe that just happens to me I don't know the end of verse 40 and he said Jesus said to Peter James and John is that what it says just Peter Peter, Uh, Jesus, there's three of us here. You don't want to chat with James and John? You're just calling my name? Are you sure they got that right? Peter. So, I don't know how that translates from the Greek into the English, but I just picture like, (laughs) Peter, so, you just said, even though all these may walk away, yet I will never... Even if I have to die with you, Jesus, I will never forsake you. So, you couldn't watch with me for one hour? One hour. You said you would live for me even if it means death. And you can't even sit and watch for one hour hour. Was it a literal hour? Is that just a figure of speech? Was Jesus actually praying for an hour and he came back 60 minutes later and he found them sleeping? Peter. He's a human, right? 
He's tired. Do you get tired? We were at that wedding last night. We left shortly after nine o'clock. We didn't get in until after midnight this morning. And I'm thinking, why do I do this to myself? I got to get up and preach in the morning. I'm tired. I'm weak. The caffeine's wearing off. Peter. I would want to scold him. I would want to tear a strip off that guy. Do you remember what you just said? The promise you made? Get out of the garden. You're not worthy. But then we'd all have to kick ourselves out, wouldn't we? You ever fall asleep on Jesus? Ever the Holy Spirit prompts you to do something? I'll sleep on it. Jesus says in verse 41, Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Is your flesh weak today? I think sometimes the roadblock to prayer for you and I is we, uh, we think our prayers have to be eloquent and lofty and certainly have to be consistent. And we turn it into a checkbox and I'm going to set my alarm and I'm going to wake up and I'm going to spend this much time in prayer and I'm going to cover this list and I'm going to do it every day. That's my goal. I haven't prayed in three months, but that's my goal. That's what I'm going to get up and do tomorrow. We set this lofty expectation and then we set ourselves up to fail before we even begin. And then we get all down on ourselves and God must be so frustrated with me because oh, failed again, hit the snooze button again, didn't get up again, didn't pray again, forgot about it, fell asleep again. And it kind of turns into this religious hypocrisy where we're trying to reach a level of performance and God says, I'm here with you. Let's just chat. Let's just talk. And we build it up to be this big thing. Now, habits are good. Disciplines are good. They're helpful. I need routine. I'm excited for the fall because we're getting back into routine. Thank goodness, because that's where I excel. Maybe you need routine. But as soon as we turn it into this religious checklist, and then if we miss a day, oh, well, then we might as well miss all the days because we failed. When does temptation come to you? It's when and where you're not paying close attention, right? When you're not keeping a close fellowship with the Father, the enemy attacks when you're chillaxing, right? It's not when you're working hard. It's not when you're engaged in the mission. The enemy attacks you when you're taking time off. I have to say, I get a cold every summer on vacation, and this summer was no different. I don't know why that happens. I slow down, get away with the family, I'm sitting on the beach, and then all of a sudden, there's all the viruses. I don't know where they come from. But it's like, when you're in routine, and you're working, you're focused, you're looking at tasks, and you're being with people, as soon as you step away and get away and chill out and relax and maybe drop your guard... You feel the sniffle, the tickle, right? The man cold comes on. Vacation, I'm blowing my nose on the beach and it's so strange because it always finds me when I slow down, take some time off, stop paying attention. Jesus says, watch, be attentive, be observant, look at what's going on around you and pray. Spend time in fellowship, in conversation, be with the Father. 
so that you may not enter into that temptation. The temptation's still going to come. Temptations come just because that web page popped up and you weren't expecting and you clicked out of it doesn't mean that it's sin. It means the devil's presenting you with a temptation. He's hoping you're going to take it hook, line, and sinker because you're not paying attention and you're not in tune with the Father. Watch and pray so that you may not enter into temptation. Peter, I know you're weak. I know you're tired. I know you want to go to sleep. I know you don't know how to set your schedule, so you were at a wedding in New Brunswick last night, and now you're feeling really tired, but you're weak. You're flesh. That's your humanity. But your spirit is willing. You see, God made us in his image. We're body, soul, and spirit. Spirit is that immaterial part of us that gives us the opportunity to relate with God. Spirit is that part that's going to exist for all of eternity in God's presence. It's our relational factor that God has given us that he didn't give to plants, that he didn't give to animals. Your spirit is willing. Ecclesiastes says he's put eternity in our hearts. There's a part of you that's created for a desire and a purpose and a relationship with God that goes beyond your physical body here on earth. Your spirit is willing, but your flesh is weak. Everybody's flesh is weak. Have some grace for yourself. Watch and pray. Let's look at verse 42. Again, for the second time. Wouldn't it be great if we could figure it out the first time? (laughs) For the second time. That's called grace. He went away and he prayed. My father, if this cannot pass until I drink it, unless I drink it, your will be done. It's the same prayer with different phraseology that he prayed the first time. Verse 43, and again he came and he found them sleeping for their eyes were heavy. (laughs) Really? Get out of the garden. Why are you even here? That's what I would want to do. Man, how many times has God tried to arouse us out of sleep? And we just want to hit that snooze button. I want to be a prayer warrior. I want my prayer to accomplish more than my preaching or administration ever does. But man, that TV remote just pops into my hand. I don't know where it comes from. That cell phone goes ding every time I think I'm going to focus in prayer here. Why is it so difficult? Why do those distractions come? Why does it always seem right at that time? If you're struggling with prayer, and maybe it's because you put your expectations way up there and you feel like you're way down here. Jesus, even if all these desert you, I never will. Even if I have to die with you, he's putting these lofty expectations. And he's caught snoozing. We're never going to reach God's level. Have you accepted that and admitted that? That's why God had to step down to our level. God knows our level. He knows where we're at. Because his son stepped into flesh and experienced where we're at. He knows. The grace that flows from him is abundant. This gives me hope. Look at verse 44. So, leaving them again, what number is this? Three. Three. Strikes you're out. No, just kidding. 
leaving them again, he went away and he prayed for the third time. Look at this. Saying the same words again. Jesus repeated the same prayer again. Did you ever pray that, uh, now I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. And I used to think like, oh, those repetitious prayers, that must just frustrate God so much. Yeah, you've prayed that one. Is there anything else you want to tell me? It's like when you have a nagging friend. Yeah, you told me that story already. Can we move on yet? Jesus, for the third time, prays not, not just the same like style of prayer, not just the same request to God, the same words again. I, uh, I've been to a number of different churches over the years, and I remember hearing this one gentleman. I heard him pray a few times, and he prayed in King James Version. Have you ever heard that? And um, I just kind of thought to myself, that guy is super spiritual. Because I, I find reading the these and thous and thine, and I find that somewhat difficult and just a surface level reading, I've got to go back and read it a few times. So if you can pray in that language just off the top of your head, that's, that's pretty incredible. And then I thought, maybe I should be doing that. And you kind of build up this expectation in your mind that, you know, maybe our prayers need to be like this eloquent poetry like King David that we can almost like sing before God to put a, a sweet-smelling savor in his presence. And oh, Josh is kneeling down again. Let's get, listen to this guy, guys. He's got some poetry coming out. Wow, it's going to be beautiful. Jesus, for the third time, prays the same words all over again with his face in the dirt. Then he came to his disciples and he said to them, sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand. The son of man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. And then Judas arrives with the soldiers, Garden of Gethsemane. He knew they would be there. Gives them the kiss. Peter cuts Malchus' ear off. Jesus says, put your sword away. And he goes with them willingly. In fact, the soldiers arrive and, and uh, Judas gives them the kiss and, and Jesus says, who do you seek? And they fall back at his words because of the authority coming out of his mouth. Then he's arrested and he's taken the false trial, the crucifixion. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Experiencing that separation from the Father. I just want to cap off this conversation with God series with this picture of this vertical line and this horizontal line. We don't get to pray because somehow we can make our words sound eloquent enough or we can throw them far enough because God is way up there and untouchable and hopefully if we get it high enough or loud enough or prettier enough, it's going to catch his attention and he might respond. You know, that glass ceiling syndrome, like there's this, this distance and it's like returned mail and I just can't seem to connect. You're never going to connect with God in your own power, in your own performance, in your own eloquence. That's why Jesus had to step down into our reality, on our level, put on our flesh, experience our temptations, carry our sin to the cross and die for us and rise again to give us new life so that we could have access to the Father 
boldness before his throne, confidence in his presence to have a conversation with God face to face. Not earth to sky, not necessarily flesh to spirit, but face to face. And beyond that, because we've talked about God's spirit being within us, Jesus' blood cleansing us, God adopting us as his children, there's a level of intimacy there that I can't begin to describe or illustrate for you. I just want you to revel in that idea. The next time you pray, you can look up, that's fine, but you need to understand that God is right here with you. The devil shouts because he's far away. But God was in the still small voice. God whispers because he's close. You gotta be real close to hear a whisper, don't you? Conversation with God, face to face in his presence. Let's bow in a word of prayer today. Father God, I thank you so much for the opportunity to enter into your presence. By invitation only, that you've extended to the whole world through the blood of your son, through the power of your spirit, through your forgiveness and grace, we can talk to you face to face. Thank you, God. God, I'm just thinking right now, I was just about to close the service with a big list of all the highlights that are happening for the month of September and the busyness. Kids going off to school and the cafe and the team rally and the church rally, parent-child dedications, fall members meeting. God, I'm sorry for getting lost in the busyness and not taking the time to hear your still small voice. Thank you, God, that when I overpromise and underdeliver in my flesh, and I sleep, and I get distracted, and I forget that you are right here with me, that you love me, not because of me, but because of your son. You accept me, you adopt me. You want to talk to me. Thank you, God. Pray all these things in your son's name. Amen.